Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Angela Torres. Hello. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty great, actually. So I got to ask you. Yes. So the for the audience at home, um, there's a reason why Angela um, is, is here. Uh, and it's because we are going to talk with her about the podcast that we're producing with her. Yes. But I, I got to ask you now. I want to. This is the first question I want to ask you. Okay. But now that you've got like a bunch of podcasts under your belt, how are you feeling right now about that? Just the concept of sitting down for a podcast. Uh, well, was it? Was it? Were you nervous at all? Like we haven't talked about that level of like in the big. So I right now in this moment, I am totally not nervous. I'm super comfortable. Cool. But when we recorded my first episode, yeah, I was like, oh my god, this is this is I nah, yeah that kind of feeling like. It's it's a little bit of imposter syndrome and a little bit of like, are people really going to want to listen to me talk yeah. for however long I'm going to talk for? Like, is this really, really, is this going to work? Um, and uh, hopefully people think it does. <laughs> well, so behind the curtain, um, this is the first project that, well, Kantara, this and Kantara would be, uh, are like the first kind of projects that we did that have been thought of in like a seasonal like a season Mm -hmm. way right and in that we've uh really there's been a lot of lead time as far as like planning out what this is all going to look like Mm -hmm. and so you know it's it's a really it's a really interesting thing like as soon as we kind of like went into true production for hearth and soul to kind of like I almost we mentioned this on Sounding Board yesterday that um that like we've not been recording many Scopy Radio podcasts and part of that there's a lot of reasons to that the 250th episode coming up um, woohoo yeah and then um, personal life stuff but also I I also wonder if part of it is this kind of like production brain shift that we've had over the last three weeks mm-hmm. where we've been deep in like hearth and soul production mm-hmm. and we've also been deep in kind of like video content production mm-hmm. and event production mm-hmm. and so like because of that the the mindset of that we go into when we're like scheduling and producing the podcast and um thinking about that this kind of like premeditated content is a really interesting one for us um so that's the the parting the curtain thing that I was talking about as far as like kind of like that piece of it. But also mm-hmm. like the, all of that is to preface to say that we've already recorded like four episodes of yeah. your podcast. Yeah. Which is. And it's not even out yet. <laughs> and they're amazing. The which, fir- like- we recorded the first one and it was like we're ready to do this. But I think that we wanted to make sure that before we did the full launch that. um we wanted it to be as consistent as possible. Yeah. Because I think, I think we recorded the first one and we were like, we know this has legs. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no, there was no that. It was just like. We didn't want to, we didn't want to just put an episode out there and then not have anything to back it up. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I am, I've said this a few times over the last six months, probably. I am like half type A personality. And I'm half creative. So my type A personality tends to take over sometimes when I'm planning things. Yeah. So I I was very much okay with like, let's not release this until I have an idea of where I'm going to go with it. I have more things recorded, more people lined up, more things scheduled. I need to get my blog, which is going to drop on the same day. 
What's uh, the day, by the way? September 1st. Yeah, September Good. 1st. Yeah, it's mark, all going to launch. Pull out your calendars right now. Mark it down. <laughs> Hearth and soul. The so, launch date. September 1st. The launch 1st. date. Um, but I was like, the blog part was sort of freaking me out. So I, I needed to make sure that that was something that I felt comfortable going live with because mm-hmm. I really wanted them to happen at the same time. Because originally it was just going to be, uh, on my end, it was only going to be a blog until you guys mentioned doing a podcast. And then I was like, oh, what if? <laughs> was well, that, and that was the post that we made a while back let's, being like, let's talk, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. So Daniel and I, one day, I, honestly, I don't even know if I consulted you on this because I <laughs> I wrote this post in Sounding Board. About asking people to become podcast hosts? Yeah. I very, I wrote this. You, you were, did you? You were in the kitchen and I was laying on the couch and we had been talking about food content in general. And then I I wrote this post, I think as Scopy or something, or maybe as me. I don't remember. I don't remember. But it was like, hey, you know, we're looking to expand our food coverage. Mm. I know that y'all, I know that some of y'all have like food brains. If anyone's interested in producing a food podcast with us, that'd be sick. And I hit post and I was like, hey, Daniel, I just posted in Sounding Board asking if anyone wants to host a food podcast. And you were like, okay. And then you commented and I was like, <gasps> fuck. <Yeah. laughs> I think I just commented with that like raised hand emoji. Like, yeah, and pick I am, me, pick me. Well, and I immediately, <laughs> immediately, like, I think I me- commented or messaged being like, yeah. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think you, I think you messaged me. Yeah. It, and you were kind of like, oh my God, you're perfect. Yeah. I was like, oh, yay. Well, what? no, yeah. because honestly, like, from our perspective, the reason that you were perfect was because, like, first of all, like, you're smart as hell. Oh, thanks. And so, and, like, we we really, like, in the, in, ooh, in the couple times that you had been on the podcast, like, food had come up and you had always mm-hmm. had, like, nuanced, like, well, like, well thought out opinions, just kind of, like, off the cuff of whatever we were talking about. And, and like, I had made a mental note of that of, like, yeah, she's got a food brain. Cool. Yeah. And, like, because I also have a food brain because yeah. I always, I've, I've always worked in restaurants. But, like, it's, you and know. I enjoy eating. Yeah. And so, Daniel. <laughs> it's very important. Yeah, yeah. Daniel has a food mouth. And so, it's, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> So I also enjoy eating. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) but kindred spirits. It's and and then also like I appreciated your perspective going into it because like not only are you like not only are you do you have like a chef background and like are actively work as like a cook and chef like Mm -hmm. it's you also like deal with some dietary restrictions. Yeah, partially like. Partially through like preference, but then partially through like health limitations. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is really it, it's a really interesting perspective to approach food from of like mm-hmm. loving food and appreciating food, but having some limitations that you have to work around and still finding a way to love food even though some food hurts you. <laughs> right, right, and I mean it was a that was definitely a difficult transition in my life when I had to incorporate these restrictions um because you know you hear people say things like oh i could never give up gluten mm. i could i couldn't do it i would just die well That's when bullshit. you're faced with like giving up a food or feeling ill for the rest of your life 
you fucking give up the food. Like you do, mm-hmm. you figure it out, right? You figure it out. And the idea is not to limit your life or to make your food sad. Like no one's trying to do that. No, when you, right, when, yeah. you know, when the doctor says you need to do this so that we can get these levels under control, then you're like, okay, well, I guess this is what I have to do. So as a foodie, you figure it out. Like yeah. you are not going to eat sad food. Like no. it's like, it's like missing a meal is not, that's not a thing unless I'm ill, you know, like I've always, I've never, this is a side note. I've never understood when people are like, oh, I forgot to eat today. Yeah. Who forgets? To I eat? would, I, I have never in my life ever forgotten to eat. I've definitely been like, oh my gosh, I was so busy this morning. I didn't have a chance to eat breakfast, but I'm always thinking, but I'm about always it. thinking about it. <laughs> Like, in my mind, I'm like, it has been five hours since I've eaten. And my stomach is telling me. It has been five hours and one minute since I've eaten. <laughs> like, like never have I forgotten. Uh-uh. There is a time no, no, stamp. No, no. <laughs> even, even when I get home really late from, you know, performances or whatever, and I'm like, oh, it's 1130. I should probably just go to bed. But I didn't eat dinner. So I'm going to eat dinner because yeah. missing a meal is not a thing. No, it's not a thing. So you figure out how to make your food not sad and you just you roll with it. Whenever, so I've like, my my history with food, not not vocationally, but just like personally, mm-hmm. has been like, I've always been, like when I was a kid, I was chubby, like I've always been big. Mm-hmm. And so like, like I've tried every diet in the world. Yeah. I've tried every <laughs> diet, like, and to varying degrees of success, like I've I've lost a lot of weight, I've gained it back, I've lost it, I've gained it back. Like I've, I'm just constantly one of those people that's like, where like I'll show up to family gather- gatherings, and it'll be like, oh, you're you're skinny, kinda, and then I'll show up a month later, and it's like, oh, you're that's not the case anymore. Okay, that's fine, it, it, whatever. Whatever. But like I've just always, you never know what I look like. Anyway, <laughs> um, but like. I've given up every kind of food there is. Mm-hmm. Like, for a while, I was paleo, and I was doing the, the bacon thing. Oh, I was on the bacon yeah. train. and uh, <laughs> Just bacon. Just bacon. Just bacon. And, <laughs> and, the, and, like, now I'm vegan, and it's kind of the opposite of paleo. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I... So, basically, I've given up every kind of food that you can give up. And, like, I'm here to say, you can do it. Oh, yeah. Anyone can give up anything. Right. And it does not matter. There is definitely a difference between, like, the choice. Like, I'm choosing to give this up for whatever the reason is. And the reason, if your why is super strong, like, why most people choose to be vegans, that there's usually a really strong why behind that. So they're able to maintain that without too much of a problem. Yeah. yeah. When it's not a choice and you're told... You know, and you've experienced, like, mm-hmm. if you eat this food, you are going to feel tomorrow like you went 12 rounds with Muhammad Ali. Like, once you experience that, you're like, well, I don't want to do that again. So no. what do I got to do to avoid that? And you figure it out. And right. you just, you know, it becomes like, I don't know, it just becomes like part of your life. You know, like, I don't really eat tomatoes anymore because the nightshades don't, we don't get along. So the nightshade thing is something that I that we found out about recently, like fairly recently, mm-hmm. because like and I think that's just kind of like food privilege, I guess, where like 
there's because there's this there's this vegan gluten-free place on the south side called bot bakery okay and they have like sandwiches and stuff like that and and also and and it's a bakery Uh uh-huh and they are gluten-free they're vegan and they're nightshade free wow which is fascinating that's so that is an autoimmune sufferer's holy mecca right there yeah like that sounds amazing yeah because a lot of people who once you get one autoimmune disease which is which is what i have i have an autoimmune disease called hashimoto's once you have one your chances of getting another one skyrocket so most people especially if it goes undiagnosed or untreated for long periods of time you end up with multiples so it's for me it's just the one right now and it's so gluten and soy are the two things that Hashimoto's do not, they don't get along well. So my body can't really tell the difference between the gluten and soy particles and my own thyroid hormones. So it destroys both. And then I feel like shit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it. But right. oftentimes people end up with added autoimmune diseases that are then flared by other foods. So, you know... My nightshade thing only I only discovered it because I did an elimination diet and then mm. reintroduced certain foods. Oh yeah, and the nightshades just didn't do well for me. Now you know, Susie homemaker down the street who also has Hashimoto's might be just fine with with right. nightshades, but can't have dairy or mm. can't have eggs. You know, it's different for everybody. Right. But sometimes they compound themselves on top of each other. So trying to adhere to your food restrictions is important because you don't want to end up with more later no Mm -hmm. you want to make your body happy while you can so that it's not doesn't you know backlash Mm -hmm. later yeah yeah and i that's what i love about when you know we were like oh angela torres yeah it has to be angela torres because (laughs) um you know we've talked about on the show multiple times why we went vegan, why we're vegan, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada, veganism. So, like, cu- doing food coverage, like, we always knew that we were going to be courting a vegan audience. Mm-hmm. That being said, like, you know, we're vegan. That Assumptions therein, like, but we, <laughs> we <laughs> didn't want to just do um, food, uh, vegan coverage. And I think that, because the mission of Scopy is covering underserved perspectives. Right. That's the point. Right. And the only underserved perspective in food is not just veganism. Yeah. Right. It's not. Right. There are other underserved perspectives. Right. Um, and I think that the only other kind of line that we wanted to make sure to draw was the, the first one being underserved perspectives and the second one being that we didn't want to get, like, food shamey. We didn't want to get... Right, right. Like... If, if you have a health condition that prevents you from eating a certain thing, that's one thing. But it's when we're we're like very anti diet culture. Yeah. Right. Is I right. think the is I think the thing. And that is actually very counter to a lot of vegan audience too. So I think mm-hmm. that like, you know, we are interested in, you know, because like there's a it's veganism's kind of a big movement right now. It's really easy to get numbers by posting vegan content. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we're aware of. But I also think that we wanted to think about food and food coverage in a way that like we're considering it from the same the for the things that we like about 
why we're vegan and why we think about alternative eating. But I, I think that then thinking about it like as more generally alternative eating as a whole, like mm-hmm. looking at looking at gluten intolerances, looking at soy intolerances, looking at autoimmune like mm-hmm. conditions, like really taking that piece of it and then kind of like because then that's you know because I think that in a lot of ways the like tackling of the factory farming is going to be a two pronged effort. You know you're going to yeah. have have the people that are outright boycotting the, the factory farming industry like Maureen or I, mm-hmm. but you also like have to the 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 thing of the matter is is that there is a still a giant supply yeah. of meat yeah. right now. And that, I think, is kind of the interesting piece of... And so when I'm saying, like, this two-pronged attack, I think that those things both have to exist right now, which is that, like, like veganism is one thing and boycotting this, the demand is one thing, but, like, there is also a giant supply in industry around meat, mm-hmm. and there is, like, room to... I, I don't know, and, and correct me if I'm kind of, like, speaking for ideology that isn't, but, like, I, it, to me, it almost feels like there is room for introducing ethical, like, ethical butchering, you know, we've talked a yeah. lot about. And I'm, like, I would be very interested in learning about ethical butchering, yeah. just because, mm-hmm. like, as vegans, like, in it, looking at it from a vegan perspective, like, ethical butchering is an, is an oxymoron. It's, right, right. But, you know, I think that it, I think that when it comes to like the morality of food, like there's, it's it's all shades of gray, right? right. And I think it, looking at that word ethical, like what if you unpack that a little bit, and and what is ethical about certain kinds of farming, right? So, in as a non-vegan, I will say right now, you know, I like vegans. Vegans are cool. I, it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. It works for you, and I'm totally down with that. Um, as long as you're not super militant about it, because I, you can't talk me into it. I'm just going to put that out there no, right now. It, well, it, it would kill you. <laughs> right. Exactly. My my personal restrictions mean that, you know, I can't, I, I need to have the animal protein to for my body to produce enough or process enough of B vitamins. That's just the way it is. But I can make choices that limit my intake of the factory farming mm-hmm. industry, because I am not down with that either. And I think... The issue right now is that is unethical, right? So the way that our food system has become completely broken, and it's not just the meat industry. The agriculture industry is shamefully broken. And a lot of it dates back, you know, 40, 50 years. And the original idea for a lot of it came after the Great Depression. And we were just trying to feed people, right? right? People are starving. So what can we do to produce more food for less money? And it became more of a money-making business in the 70s with this guy named Earl Butts. I'm not kidding. That's his name. You can look him up, Google him. It's a great name. Um, he was a head of the Department of Agriculture or something like that. That's when the whole change into an emphasis on making money versus the emphasis on feeding people. Great name, bad guy. Exactly. Um, but so the idea of being ethical, right, is is that word in and of itself is where what we have to look at, I think. Mm-hmm. And for me, looking at farms that are going back to the way nature intended things to be. So, for example, if you read Michael Pollan's book, um, The Omnivore's Dilemma, which is a 
fantastic book. I highly recommend it to anyone and everyone who is remotely interested in this subject um, because he follows the food from, you know, farm to plate in various different kinds of meals. Um, but he goes to this farm called Polyface. Polyface is a quote unquote ethical, sustainable farm. They raise chickens, they raise cattle, they raise hogs, they butcher them, they sell them. But he decided that he wanted to work on this farm because if I can't kill the chicken, then I shouldn't Mm -hmm. eat the chicken. And he says that right in the book. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. If you can't, in this society, you don't know where your chicken comes from and you can't picture yourself taking that animal and ending its life to feed yourself, then maybe, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be eating it. And I'm totally down with that. Like, if that's your reasoning, cool. Um, But they talk about, those farmers talk about how they're not, they're not animal farmers, they're grass farmers. Because in the sustainable cycle of a farm, the way it should be, is essentially the grass grows, the cattle eat the grass, the cattle then fertilize the grass, the cattle then changes that grass into nutrients that humans can digest, because we can't eat grass. We don't have four stomachs, right? So that whole thing is this cycle that you need the cows to be out free on a pasture in order for that cycle to complete and take place. If that's not happening, like in factory farming, there's a big chunk missing, Mm. which means the the meat is not nutrient-dense, neither is the milk or any of the dairy, right? We're missing a whole aspect of nutrition that's supposed to come from that grass that we're not getting because they're not getting it. And then they're also, you know, penned into these tiny things. They're not free to roam. They're not free to live the way cows are supposed to live or, or chickens or pigs or whatever animal we're talking about. Whereas on these pasture farms, they live as they would normally live. And yes, they are slaughtered for meat, but they're also, they also live a full life. Does that make sense? So they're not kept in pens they do their chicken things chickens by the way if you see in the store on your carton of eggs and it says vegetarian fed chickens are not vegetarians just fyi they're not they they usually eat bugs and grubs Mm -hmm. and things like that that are in the ground and if the chickens are allowed to roam the way they're supposed to then they do that and they then intake nutrients that they don't otherwise get if they're kept in pens and, and cages. So there's this whole cycle that has become broken. And that to me is the unethical part, mm-hmm. right? So if the cycle is allowed to take place the way it's supposed to take place, the way that nature originally intended it to take place, then the people eating that meat, A, they know where it came from. Mm-hmm. B, that animal got to live a good life and do what it's supposed to do. And all the nutrients are there for both the mm-hmm. animal and the person eating the animal. So because we've broken that, we've lost all of that. So all the nutrition, all of the respect for the animal, all of the the knowledge of where food comes from, people think chicken comes from the grocery store. Like, that to me is sad. That is, that to me is brutal. And I, I think that, uh, that entire mindset, you know, because I, 
I think that, you know, it's a really interesting thing talking to you because, like, I... First off, you said a lot of things that I wanted to make sure that I said, so I'm glad. Like, the thing, <laughs> like I personally couldn't see myself killing a chicken. And that's kind of why, like, I, I am like, oh, I should never... Because I was that person that, like, mm-hmm. you know, bought a bag of Tyson chicken nuggets and, and microwaved them. And, yeah. And that was, yeah. like... And I didn't really think about it at all. Right. Um, and I know that I could. I haven't actually had to do it. But being the food person that I am and, you know, doing the food history research that I've done, I know how to kill a chicken. Mm-hmm. And I know that I could if I if I needed to feed myself. Yeah. And I know how to fe- how to defeather a chicken. And I could do it if I needed, you know, like. Yeah. And I think that that to me is a really, like, fair line because I think that, um, I, I don't know. I, I think that we're in a, I mean, it's the same for some reason, the last couple of episodes, we keep coming back to this, but there's, like, no ethical consumption under capitalism. There's no, well, like, there's no, like, the, the, the animal, like, the, the animals have been bred and overbred. It's just, it's an interesting thing, because, like, um, I feel like maybe there are people that, like, because I'm trying to think of it, I'm really trying to play the, like, well, I'm, like, vegan and thinking about... But, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting more and more, like, I used to be, like, oh, I'm a pacifist, but I'm not really a pacifist anymore. Like, not to say that, but... Because, like, the... There are, like, I'm a big, you know, like, Nazis should be punched in the face kind of person. <laughs> and so, like, I, I like, the, the these, like, ethics, you know, like, mm-hmm. they're, they're so intensely personal. Um, and kind of, like, how that relates to... Uh, uh, you know, just how it relates to veganism is like, like, if you, if you personally can't, I, I just, I, I don't understand. I don't know where I'm going anymore. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going anymore. I clearly am thinking about this a lot, but I also like the way that I, I would not have as quickly gone to veganism if people that were omnivores thought about it the way that you did. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And I I do know that I am in a smaller group of people, of omnivores, so to speak. Yeah. That the, the, the general population does not yet feel the way that I do. And I know there are a lot of people out there trying to change this. The whole paleo movement, which I don't necessarily agree with that term per se, because that's not like paleolithic is not really what they're going for. But that movement is trying to educate people about a what a whole food is versus Mm -hmm. a processed food yeah and b where the hell your food comes from like it's very important to most people who most nutrition centered people who follow the sort of paleo lifestyle it is extremely important to them that their meat comes from a completely pastured area like because i what i remember so a big thing with the two the two things from paleo that I remember and that stuck with me are that it is dairy free mm-hmm. except for grass fed butter. Correct. Which is interesting. Which which I always found really interesting. Yeah. Um also like I you know, when I was doing it, it was it was part of a weight loss journey that I was on. Yeah. And so I, I had, like, all of these, like, infographics that I that I was kind of relying upon to mm-hmm. kind of be my North Star. And one of them was basically, like, 
it showed like a bird's eye view of a grocery store and it basically just said ignore the aisles yeah yeah only shop the perimeter perimeter, which actually a lot of quote-unquote diets will say that because the perimeter is where the fresh food is versus the packaged food yeah but what i will say to the point of of the paleo lifestyle is that a lot of at least the nutritionists and and what i focus on is nutrition because i'm most interested in what i'm getting out of the food to fuel my body Mm -hmm. so I am not at all interested in the dogma behind some paleo followers. I'm not interested in the dogma of some vegan followers. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in the dogma of some keto. Like, I'm not interested in dogma, period. You eat what works for you and what works for your body. Whatever that is, great. So I will say that there are some nutrition-centered sort of paleo-ish people out there who... um, who do say, okay, well, I eliminated dairy and I learned that cow dairy doesn't, my body doesn't get along with it very well, but I can have goat milk. Mm. So I'm going to have the goat milk, you know, or, and if I'm going to have the grass fed butter, I'm going to turn it into ghee. So I'm not eating the, the, basically the, the part that would have any lactose in it. Mm. Right. So it, it really comes down to I tried this and I can tolerate this and my body doesn't hate me for it. So I'm going to eat it. Yeah. And it's the same with when I did my elimination diet. I looked at a lot of like basically what I got stripped down to was a a very almost like a strict paleo diet. And Mm -hmm. that was just by nature of the elimination diet that I was doing. Um, But basically that meant that I wasn't eating any beans. I wasn't eating any grains. I wasn't eating any dairy. I was basically eating fish and vegetables for like a month, which was... A little sad, but you know, I knew it was I knew it was temporary. And then reintroduction and I was terrified that certain foods were not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. So because like in the paleo the dogmatic paleo diet, they don't eat beans. When I was paleo, I hated that. Right. I thought that was such bullshit because well, beans are good for you. Well, here's the reasoning behind it. I can tell you. Get some science nerdiness here. Um, beans contain something called lectins, which dogmatic paleo people will tell you is an, they labeled it an anti-nutrient. If you look at, and I prefer this term better, ancestral health and ancestral ways of, of producing food, Beans were always soaked for a very long period of time. And then they were cooked within an inch of their life. Boiled, right? That removes the lectins, essentially. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they were fermented first as well. So like... Oh, wow. Right. So like technically your your tofu and your tempeh comes from a fermented soybean. Right. So the lectins in the soybeans are then removed, so, right? So fascinating. Which gets rid of those quote-unquote anti-nutrients that they've been labeled so if you the problem is is that a lot of in in our current society and diet a lot of people don't take that time to do that kind of thing right with who takes that well i do because i'm a nerd but like uh, most people don't do that Mm -hmm. and sometimes the beans that you get in the cans have not been they've just been pressurized so they've not been boiled within an inch of their life. They've been pressure cooked. And that maybe doesn't do the same thing. And that's the that's where the concern is, mm-hmm. is that you're getting these anti-nutrients that are going to essentially fuck with your gut, which is where all these health problems lie in how our standard American diet has basically fucked up all our guts mm-hmm. and nobody can digest properly anymore. So when I reintroduced 
beans, I did it the way my mom taught me when, when we were poor and I was a kid and you soak the beans overnight and then you boil the shit out of them all day long and then you eat them. And I had no problems. So, you know, praise be to whoever's out up there. Mm-hmm. I, I can eat beans, which was great because I was like, am I going to have to give up the food of my people? Like, how sad would that <laughs> yeah. be? And, but corn is another one. Corn is very hard to digest for a lot of people, especially after years of the standard American diet. So eliminating corn and other grains eliminates a lot of inflammation. That doesn't mean that you can't digest it. It's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I can eat corn. I can eat popcorn. I can't eat a crap ton of popcorn or my stomach gets upset with me. You Mm. know, it's just like you play and you learn. It's fascinating because that's another thing like, you know, because I'm a big old carb boy. Mm. And I, I, the same way that you, like for you, beans are the food of your people, pasta, pizza, food of my people like <laughs> i can just and and that's not true they're like i mean pizza is not the ancestral food of your people <laughs> i am from but, naples but, i mean no my no, family no, no, no. is but like I, what i'm saying is like bread is the like bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 you do realize that your people didn't have tomatoes until the new world was discovered right i'm just yeah. saying no fair big move that's totally fair <laughs> well and, and i'm more of a pasta boy anyway but the thing that i also really am interested in and kind of like a revelation i had while you were talking is I realize that the things that that like that I that also ruffle my feathers, like looking across the aisle of it, is the dogmas of it. Yeah. Because I, what hearing you talk about soy mm-hmm. and hearing you talk about like you, I I heard you unpack like the science behind soy and mm-hmm. soy cooking and fermenting beans and that they are a bean. Excuse me. Um, and the thing that I've always had a hard time with. With soy, like, because soy makes up a lot of my diet at this yeah. point, and um, and you know, I I think that there is a ton of dogma. There's a, a lot of anti-soy dogma, right? And I think that that there's a difference between being like soy doesn't work for my diet, and like soy is gonna make you have boobs or like well, whatever the fuck. Like, there's also a big difference between a traditional traditional ancestral soy product and a manufactured soy products sure right so so i mean my soy issue is completely it's almost like an allergy right it's not anything to do with how it's processed i just can't i just can't do it but for other people who are worried about estrogen dominance which is what they say causes you know the boobs that comes almost all from processed soy products and i mean highly processed i don't mean tofu and tempeh right when it's because, like filling in your right whatever the and fuck. and consider this so your your traditional soy sauce ancestrally produced soy sauce is a long fermented product fermentation is awesome for your gut fermentation mm-hmm. is healthy everybody should eat fermented foods most of us don't get enough of them so that being said soy is awesome soy sauce right But if you go to the grocery store and you look at the soy sauces on the shelf, they've had corn syrup added to them. They've had wheat gluten added to them. They've had all this other cornstarch, whatever shit added to them because they are not fermented anymore. They're a quick, highly processed product. So they are no longer produced in that ancestral way. Right. So that is the point where you're taking soy and turning it into something that the body doesn't recognize Mm -hmm. that causes this estrogen dominance. Now, if you were to eat 
tofu all day long every day that probably would happen as well eventually your body would start to absorb the estrogen that's in naturally in the soybean but it's that processing that makes it so much more highly readily available to the body does that make sense Mm -hmm. so that because that always bugged me too like wait but but the japanese have been eating soy for thousands of that, years yeah like, that for me is just like that is and then the other thing is like on a national level we produce so much soy that goes back to earl butts fyi i'm serious really? yeah so yeah. not soy in particular but it started like if you if you really dig and michael pollan talks about this as well so i recommend him highly if you dig into the current agricultural system there is actually in this country a surplus of corn, wheat, and soy, because those are um, subsidized by the government. So farmers, and this is this is what blows my mind, because farmers already like are not making enough money. People are having to sell their land. They're having to join giant companies like mm-hmm. Monsanto because they can't fucking feed their families. The reasoning is that the price of corn, of those commodity crops, it fluctuates enough that that you can never be guaranteed a price a certain price right and those but those are the three that you have to grow if you want to make any money at all Mm. because those are the ones subsidized by the government so basically you say okay well i'm going to turn this you know however many acres i have into a soy farm and the government says okay we will give you x amount per acre if you grow soy to 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 subsidize your farm Okay, well, then the farmer takes it. He gets this money in his pocket, right? And he takes the soy to sell. And the soybeans are like, okay, well, today we're going to pay you $1.23 a pound or whatever for your soybeans. And the farmer goes, well, that's funny because these soybeans cost me two fifty a pound to grow. The only wow. way that he can do it is because the government, the government has subsidized it. So wheat, that's fascinating. Wheat, corn, soy, and cotton are the only crops that the government subsidizes. Those are called commodity crops. Anything else that you want to grow is considered a specialty crop and does not get subsidies. So more and more farmers, in order to survive, and I don't blame them. This is not their fault. Yeah, it's the broken system that goes back to Earl Butts. They are growing these commodity crops because it's the only way that they can survive. And there's very few small family farms left growing specialty crops. Unless you're one of the really big ones out in California growing the, you know, organic right. stuff. Wow. Yeah. Um, I know another thing I really wanted to talk about was... Because um, the other piece that I always find very interesting is... Um, un- in alternative eating is um is that is that a thing to call it sure um is unpacking I like yeah. traditions and and i guess what do you mean by alternative eating like not eating the standard american diet yeah is that what you mean sure so people who are restricting things for whatever reason yeah yeah well, I, I think alternative eating is kind is kind of othering yeah i i think more like i think of it more as like mindful eating well, I'm coming from thinking about it like underserved perspectives in eating. Okay. I guess. Right into the show. Let us know what you think. Um, here's where I'm going with this. I don't this, love alternative eating. That's fair. I don't, it didn't either. That's why I asked about it. Anyway, my point <laughs> being the thing that I find fascinating about thinking about food, you know, when um, 
like one of the things I find fascinating why I spend so much time in the kitchen as a vegan is I but I also watch a ton of Great British Baking Show you know Chopped Mm -hmm. love Gordon Ramsay and a lot of people I know that that go through you know whether it's they can't eat gluten they don't eat whatever thing Mm -hmm. they still research how that thing behaves because understanding how it behaves in technique cooking like in oh yeah yeah culinary practice is um is so important to understanding how because the the fact of the matter is like so many meals we've made with like whatever product or whatever ingredient Mm -hmm. are good food you know that people crave that people want that Mm -hmm. you know provide a well-balanced diet in some way or like are are a formula for a well-balanced diet and so i find that really fascinating and i and that is something that i find is um it's just not talked about like we don't when we talk about how we don't talk enough about not just where our food comes from but when we have those those raw materials why we do to them what we do what we do to them yeah yeah well there's a lot of i mean there has been a lot of wisdom that's sort of passed down, right? I yeah. like to call myself an intuitive cook. I'm not always great at explaining to other people what I did or why I did it. But I can think about it and backtrack and then write it down, you yeah. know, but I I tend to get, and I'm sure that you do this too, I get in the kitchen and I just do. Right. And then people are like, oh, how did you do this? Uh, let me think about it and I'll let you know. Because I... I I think for me, it's just, it's sort of innate. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with most people these days. So a lot of the the wisdom that's sort of been passed down has been lost into why we do what we do in the kitchen, right? So you were talking about, before we started recording, you were talking about uh, xanthan gum, right? Well, that is used in gluten-free baking as a replacement for the gluten. Mm-hmm. Gums are thickeners. So there's... You look at packaged products and you'll see a whole bunch of different kinds of gums. And they're all used as either thickeners and or um, binders of Mm -hmm. some kind. And xanthan gum is one of those that is actually a pretty naturally derived product. Um, But And you hear about it and you think it's not because it's like... Right, because it's it's got a weird name. It's got a weird name. Like, yeah. Yeah, and I can't... Unfortunately, I can't remember off the top of my head where it comes from. I was just reading about it a couple days ago, and now I've lost it. But, um, you know, I'm sure you can, folks out there can Google it. But mm-hmm. it is, it's a pretty naturally derived product. So it's just something that they discovered was like, oh, hey, this works really well in place of the natural gluten that you would have from a wheat product. So it's the same when you're trying to replace eggs you know what 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 works what has the same effect you know chia seeds ground up and mixed with water are going to have that sort of gel action that you're looking for Mm -hmm. from an egg but you can't whip it up into a meringue right so uh, different things will have different effects and knowing a little bit of the science behind it is what how people who have created gluten-free cookbooks get famous right because Well, I don't know how to do that, right? So they figure it out. They just it's just trial and error. It's yeah. a lot of trial and error, but understanding how those ingredients ingredients work in the traditional product, right? That's so, what you need to replace. Like if you're replacing egg, you need to understand what the egg like what, what is doing it that doing in that product that, that you're yeah, replacing. Exactly. One of my favorite things to watch on YouTube is this vegan 
YouTuber. Her name is Lauren Toyota. Above the law. She's above the law. But um, <laughs> no, but her her uh, her channel is called Hot for Food, and it's um one of her segments is called Recipe, where she just turns. <laughs> she says on, it like that. Yeah, it's it's called Reci- <laughs> the it's Recipe. Uh, question mark exclamation point uh-huh. uh, and she always says hello my name is Lauren Toyota and welcome to recipe <laughs> um, but she turns on the camera and is like I don't know what I'm making today and then she opens her fridge and she's like I've left over this I've left over this and then yeah. by the end of the episode she's she has workshopped and created a recipe Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to watch yeah because most of the stuff that she ends up with is like because and it's because she has an innate understanding of how these flavors work together and how these ingredients and she has a really she has a really strong sense of like the science of vegan cooking Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. she knows that if she combines you know, she knows that if she takes aquafaba and throws it in her Vitamix and mm-hmm. it'll do this. And she knows that you can't um, puree potatoes and then expect them to not be gummy because it'll be too starchy. And it's right. it's like she has that knowledge of she has that base knowledge. And so she's able to play. And it's just a really interesting thing to watch. Mm-hmm. And you learn so much from it. That's my job, essentially. That's so like, cool. I mean, your life is recipe. Recipe. <laughs> the only problem is that then I eventually had to write all write down all these recipes so that I could have assistants make mm-hmm. my recipes yeah. and keep mm-hmm. them consistent. But it, we get so in the summertime, we get like a CSA box. Actually, we get multiple CSA boxes, which um my boss has signed up for so we get two boxes of vegetables and two boxes of fruit and two bags of mushrooms and flowers right so i come in on mondays well what do we got so (laughs) i gotta figure out how to use it because it's not stuff that's in our standard menu right so then i gotta figure out what am i gonna do with the zucchini what am i gonna do with this kohlrabi what am i gonna Mm -hmm. do with you know all of these random and it's little bits of things sometimes so it's not like I can't always make a sandwich special to run over the weekend with it because that's not enough. There's yeah. not enough of that ingredient. So, well, what can I do with it? So summer is great because then we get to create all these crazy salads that, you know, sell for a day and a half and then they're gone. Or sometimes if it's fruit, then I can turn it and, you know, add it to my jams, add it to different salads to flavor things. I can make sauces blueberry barbecue sauce suddenly became a thing that i figured out how to make just innately by throwing shit in a pot you know um and then we ended up buying bulk blueberries and i made it and canned it so we're gonna have that on the shelf soon but um it's it's interesting to be able to get paid to do something that i i forget that everybody doesn't know how to do well and i think (laughs) you know the thing that i keep thinking about is um you know, there's a reason why Julia Childs revolutionized food. Yeah. And it's because, like, she was that first kind of, like, on-TV personality, but that was also kind of, like, taking things that exactly how we've talked about, like, mm-hmm. our traditions are passed down from generation to generation and displaying them for posterity. Like, right. that, that practice has revolutionized the way that we think about food. And, um, and I... I to to get caught up to kind of wrap up like all the things we've said here like to get so caught up in your own dogma that you don't recognize yes that i think you can have a balance of these things absolutely and i think that 
when you're talking about whether it's for health reasons or, or diet culture, which I'm also totally not okay with. I mean, people are the size that they are. I'm yeah. more interested in whether or not they're getting the nutrients that they need, period. And that can can and does come from your food choices. But that doesn't mean that you can't, like, love the food. Yeah. Right? Like, I, y- there's this old term from, you know, I think it came back around in the 80s when everybody was in the low fat craze which we still are but the the idea that food isn't love right mm-hmm. okay but you know what it is yeah i think that it is at least and and maybe it has to do with my personal love language if you guys have read up on that at all mm-hmm. um that's that's how i that's how i show love right so i i will cook for people or I will give people food that I have made. Like, that's a thing that I do because it makes me happy because I know it makes them happy. Mm-hmm. And I don't see how denying yourself that kind of enjoyment can be beneficial to your life. And I don't see how that can bring any kind of balance. So, I mean, maybe I can't eat the gluten, but you know what? I sure can eat a gluten free donut once in a while. Yeah. Because sometimes you just need a fucking donut. Or sometimes you just need a stack of pancakes, like, and you figure out how to make it happen. But there's so much, if you just sort of, like, dig into whether it's your own ancestry or the area that you live in or the farmer's markets and what they have to offer and just really dig into what's around you, there's so much amazing food that you can put in your face. Sometimes it's super simple. And, like, I made this thing at work a couple weeks ago that was zucchini and yellow squash sauteed with mushrooms and a crap ton of garlic and olive oil and cilantro and like that was pretty much it and it's it comes from a thing that my mom makes for parties that people eat with crackers a mushroom thing and we put all this with mushrooms and served it as a side salad and my boss was so over the moon about it and he was like well that needs to be a special Mm -hmm. so this weekend we're putting it on a breakfast special Cool. But it's just like, it's so simple. It was some three vegetables and some garlic in olive oil. That's pretty much it. Like, just saute it up. Done and done. And it's so good. So good. Cool. We should wrap up. Yeah. What um, time are we We have at? a few minutes left. 15 minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah, it went by so fast. The last thing we do <laughs> with all of our guests, as I'm sure you know, and I'm sure the listeners know, <laughs> is a one-minute plug for anything we have upcoming. Um, so it doesn't have to enti- like exactly be a minute. Um, it doesn't. Uh, what I this has been two weeks since I've done this. What is the thing? Um, <laughs> Sometimes that's very obvious. It's like, like letting people know about a release of a podcast and blog <laughs> with present company involved or not. Um, also, we love hearing any self care or any media you're consuming, self care or otherwise, music, TV shows, movies, stuff like that. Um, or any shout-outs to other folks that are doing dope work. Awesome. Okay. Uh, well, as we said already, Hearth and Soul is my podcast and blog that will be launching on September 1st. Scopy Magazine is producing this awesome podcast. I'm super excited about it. They sound great. So it's... I, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. It's going to be so good. Well, um, and, and also, I want to say, too, that, you know, what... Scopy Magazine producing a podcast means is that we just set up the mics. And yeah. so much of the work has been 
from you and you have put so much energy and heart and I feel like that's something that we haven't like said yet it's just like how like enamored and like thoughtful you are and how fantastic of a job you've done and how much prep work you've done how much organization you've done how much writing you've done like all type a (laughs) all of it like what scopy producing a thing means is literally just providing the means of production and that's it and and which is awesome though because i would not have been able to figure it out otherwise you know like it Mm -hmm. would have ended up being just a blog and i guarantee you i would have put it off for another year or two i've been talking about doing a blog for like three years oh i'm so i'm i'm (laughs) but i just relatable i needed that impetus to like just just do the thing just do it you know and and now i'm doing it which is awesome um i think Oh, I mean, this is like way far off, but Forte Chicago, yeah. which I am a core member of, we are uh, working on building our next show, which will be November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So keep your calendars open for that weekend. I'm not sure yet exactly how many performances there will be. It's either three or four. We might have two in one day, um, but completely self-devised from the ground up, all new work. Yeah. I want to underline this because there are a lot of people that ask me and I, you know, I've been kind of out of touch in the opera scene for like the last year and a half for, because I run a magazine and, (laughs) (laughs) um, a lot of people ask me like, what stuff should I be keeping an eye out? Or like, what's a good way to kind of learn about opera? Like non-opera people. Right, 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 right. And, um, if you're one of those people and you're listening right now, uh, underline Forte Chicago, they are all English. They're all amazing singers. Um, they're, uh. They, the work they also, is all in English. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That, they're not they're not all British. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. We're we're a very multicultural group. <laughs> yeah. Um, really, really you rad. You said that work. I was like, this what? What? <laughs> I just meant that like because that, that can be a barrier to oh, yeah. understanding. No, we don't oh. we almost never sing in foreign languages. Every now and then we'll take like an Italian a standard Italian rap yeah. and, but we'll do something crazy with it. You'll right? reference it. And, yeah. And yeah. that it it ends up becoming you reference it and make it accessible to an outside perspective but also it's funny too it it ends up working on multiple levels right and i really like credit and not to just kind of like spew on and on about force of chicago but <laughs> oh, like please do <laughs> susan o'brien yeah is brilliant she really is brilliant brilliant um incredibly brilliant yeah we're and, so lucky that we get to work with her yeah and um she's been because like forte's gone on for we are in year three. three. Yeah. Um, we'll be four. It'll be four years in February. And so and so basically it stemmed from. When in February? It, Valentine's Day. We've definitely had Forte Chicago on the podcast before, right? Yeah. 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 Um, no. So j- double check that. Well, but like, well because our, our Scopy anniversary is the day before Valentine's Day. <gasps> no way. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. We yeah. need to do like a joint thing. That, that would be. That would be sick. We should do that. That would be sick. We should totally do that. Well, we'll make it happen. Yeah. I, I've said this to you, and if anybody from Forte is listening, I would gladly take a stab at doing some kind of digital media with Forte. Because I've, in the past, the Say Supreme, yes. Yes, yes. That's that's a Daniel Johansson production. Yes, And it I'm is. very proud of that. And <laughs> it um, was a while ago, um, and it was just so fun to do. Um, and yeah, um, anyway, we are so off on tangents. Um <laughs> Check out Forte Chicago. Highly recommended. Um, Hearth and Soul. Yes, um, Hearth and Soul. Did I cut you anything off? What's in your pie hole? 
What's in my pie hole? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's my segment. We're stealing, I know. <laughs> we're, we're stealing from your show. Look forward. Look, none of y'all know about this yet, but there's a whole segment that we're it's, it's stealing. a whole segment. What's in your pie hole? Well, my pie hole currently is filled with tacos because I was in Michigan over the weekend uh, for my nephew's first birthday. And my family, we don't do anything small. Everything is like we plan for a party and it's like you might you could invite an army and we could feed all of them. So we made tacos for, you know, enough for like 100 people and maybe like 25 people showed up. So my mother sends home with me to Chicago, just huge containers full of taco meat and shredded chicken and beans with cheese and and green onions and a jar of salsa and just like all of this stuff. So um, I have been eating on that because I don't want it to go bad. So. Mm-hmm. I'm just eating. And who's upset about tacos? I'm never it's upset kind of about tacos. It's always a thing that we actually just got stuff to make tacos today. Yes. So that I will be really eating cool. tacos after this when I go home. So cool. more tacos. I don't know tacos. if I'm going to be. We made giant subs. I was. I had a public sub craving. And so I just made like a, like a fucking. I, we tried this. Um, we ate at three and I'm never going to eat again. <laughs> yeah. Like we talked a lot about food. A testament to how not hungry I am. We just talked about food for 50 minutes. Not hungry. Not hungry. Yeah. That's nope. amazing. It was a really big sandwich. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So what's in my pie hole is nothing. <laughs> Fuck food. <laughs> nothing. I'm over it. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. Oh, yeah. I've, I continue to be Maureen Smith. <laughs> Maureen is a yawn. Um, if you want to keep up with what we're up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles and podcast episodes there. Um, as far as like recent things to check out on the website, uh, two articles this week have come out so far. Um, Three. Yeah. So the first one that you definitely... Oh, f- I'm, I'm thinking of a fourth one, too, that I want to mention. Um, the first in the Ronnie Man, uh, Justice for Ronnie Man series came out, which is fantastic and crucial and important and if you haven't read it if you haven't listened to the podcast episode yet i'm gonna say that you need to just stop everything you're doing and go do that because um it's really important to kind of like keep abreast of like you know what's it's happening really with Black easy Lives matter really easy as north side folks because I, I know that a lot of our audience i know we have people in the south side to listen but i'm i'm mostly speaking they i think most of you probably are already kind of more in touch than most of the north side folks that i know listen but like you know, Southside issues matter and we need to, we need to, you know, be there and, and like be part of Chicago in a, as a whole. So that I'm going to, I'm going to say definitely check out if you haven't, um, theater section, we had a new expression. Uh, and then also, um, what was the piece that Janiah just wrote? Oh boy. I don't, uh, oh, uh, Ariel Zatina? Yes! If you remember that podcast episode, Ariel's fantastic. Techno but Rihanna. <laughs> Great piece. That's a Maureen Smith original. No, mine was Techno but Make It Fashion. But Make It Fashion. Um, yeah, and also um, VV Lightbody. VV Lightbody. I just always... Oh, when I introduced her on the podcast, mm-hmm. I went VV. I don't know why, but I listened to the beginning of that episode like twenty times. I don't like just the first ten seconds. VV Lightbody. Anyway, so do check all that out. Um, really interesting articles. You can also find us on social media on Facebook. We have a Facebook page called Scoffee Magazine. Wow, I'm plugging a lot of stuff. But we just released the newest episode of Window Cat, which I'm very excited about. It's like a, a weird video featuring local band Fahrenheit 808, 808. and our cats. Um, 
really fun project. I love doing it. Um, it's a it's a it's a dream of mine to make my cats famous. So help me, um, help me, help me, please, please, please. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, Scopy Magazine. You can also find our Facebook group, Sounding Board, that we love and adore. Check it out. Horoscopes, whatever, yada yada. Um, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr, Scopy Mag. You can find the podcast, the one you listen to right now, under Scopy Radio on most podcast places, uh, including Google Play, iTunes. Podcasts. podcasts and radio public cool cool uh and i'm here to talk about the importance of subscribing if you head to our website scopymag.com and go to our subscribe page there are a couple ways you can do that the first is to sign up for email blasts this is very important because even though we post across social media platforms facebook eats our shit so if you want to see 100 percent of what we're doing and not just 30 percent of it you should sign up for those email blasts the second thing you can do is you can become a member for as little as five dollars a month you can help us keep our lights on and pay our fucking artists so if you our editor-in-chief would stop watching youtube videos while i'm trying to talk i had 30 facebook notifications so I just, I tried to open Facebook and I was, I guess, watching a video of the last time I shut Facebook. And so all I'm right. really sorry. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes every time I, there's a, whenever I see I have 30 Whatever Facebook you're now, saying, you got to wait till the end of the episode because, or after we stop recording because it's just it's going on not too long. So, um, also, if you're interested in advertising with us, please feel free to reach out said scopymag at gmail.com so give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make oh really quick no i'm just kidding <laughs> go out and make something i'm gonna go check to make sure that no one's threatening me on the internet 